0: I'm Harris Faulkner. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Janice Dean. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, April 23rd, 2020. I'm Trey Inks. As countries around the world battle coronavirus, resources like food and safe shelter are still a major issue for millions of people.
1: Many populations live in crowded conditions, and so the idea of social distancing is virtually impossible and some don't even have access to clean water. So things like hand washing also quite difficult.
0: This is the Fox News rundown. Global pandemic. For certain areas of the globe, sickness is all too familiar, often a result of war, lack of nutrition, and limited medical resources. While we often focus on medicine and ventilators to treat coronavirus symptoms in the western world, Basic necessities like food and water remain scarce in some other areas. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak and hear from Mona Yakubian, a senior advisor at the U.S. Institute of Peace, about humanitarian efforts that run parallel with the fight against this disease. Starting first, though, in Yemen, reports say the United States is preparing to deliver a significant aid package to the war-torn country. Reuters says that 80% of Yemen's population, a staggering 24 million people, relies on humanitarian aid to survive. While the country is reporting just one case of coronavirus, the true number is likely much higher. A lack of widespread testing is one of the key factors to consider, as the UN is warning COVID-19 could spread very rapidly in the country. Now to Syria, where the Assad regime is reporting just three deaths from coronavirus. Nonprofit organizations that have spoken with the Fox News rundown believe the actual toll is much higher. Syria, like Yemen, faces a lack of testing problem. One report today showed volunteers constructing homemade ventilators for coronavirus patients. The Civil War-torn country relies heavily on international aid, especially from European countries. Finally, in South Sudan, the government reported its first confirmed case of COVID-19 earlier this month. Sudanese officials are receiving continued aid from the United Nations African Mission, though if the outbreak gets worse, more support could be needed. Sudan currently is reporting 162 total cases of COVID-19. So how do countries that have portions of their population struggling for basic necessities like food and water amid this outbreak?
1: I think Syria has one of the largest number of displaced people in the world.
0: This is Mona Yakubian, a senior advisor at the US Institute of Peace.
1: And many are living in crowded conditions and unsanitary conditions. And so if you put all of that together, It really has the makings of potentially a perfect storm when it comes to uh, the corona pandemic and the impact that that the pandemic can have on the Syrian population.
0: When you have such a vulnerable population and you're looking at food shortages and limited medical supplies, I mean, how are those things addressed particularly amid this other global pandemic that's unfolding?
1: Right, well, I think You know, many of the techniques that we use here, for example, some of the major mitigation strategies like social distancing or hand washing even, um, those kinds of practices are extremely difficult in a place like Syria. As I said, many populations live in crowded conditions and so the idea of social distancing is virtually impossible and some don't even have access to clean water, so things like hand washing also quite difficult. Um, It's gonna be really important that there be uh, enough resources, enough humanitarian assistance, medical assistance that comes into the country, and of course, that's quite difficult given uh, the conflict that the country is currently experiencing.
0: And I read your opinion piece in The Hill, Can COVID-19 Open the Door to Peacebuilding in Syria? It's an interesting concept that I haven't heard talked about a lot. But explain to our listeners what your take on the situation was.
1: Yeah, well, it's a bit of kind of um, a counterintuitive take on Syria, because we don't typically think of Syria and peacebuilding in, in the same sentence. But there is, we are seeing a slowing of conflict uh, in Syria. Perhaps in part as a result of um, the pandemic. So, a very shaky ceasefire that was negotiated in early March, that's still holding, which is actually a bit surprising. Um, that's in northwest Syria. And then in the northeast, again, also very little, very little uh, conflict relative to what we've seen in the past. And so, it already seems as though some of the key players on the ground are already slowing the momentum of conflict, perhaps out of concern with uh, the coronavirus and a, and a decision you know, not to, to be very mobile. Uh, Turkey, for example, has said that its troops will stay frozen in place where they are. Um, and then you have the factor of a lot of the key actors who are players in the Syria conflict are worried themselves about the pandemic back home. So um, Hezbollah, the Lebanese militia that's been very involved in Syria, they've actually brought fighters home and they're really turning inward to fight the pandemic back in Lebanon. Similarly, we're seeing Iran uh, perhaps turning a little bit more inwardly focused to to deal with the pandemic. And um, even countries like Russia and Turkey that are also suffering the effects of the pandemic, they too may be actually pulling back a little bit, at least temporarily. And so what I argue in the piece is this might create an important opportunity to de-escalate the conflict, um, and to perhaps create an opening for for building peace in Syria.
0: You've spoken very extensively for years. I mean, one of the early voices talking about the effects on civilians in civil war, particularly in Syria. Looking at the basic human needs, and we, we know there's so many people internally displaced in the country, But things like food and water, how does this play into the ability to build peace when there's things that people in the West may take for granted, but in Syria are often luxuries for people?
1: No, absolutely. And I think we cannot discount just how difficult the situation is for Syrian civilians, and again, that they've been suffering for years. Um, And so in some ways, though, I think, uh, those on the ground that are suffering are, are surely looking for a reprieve from the violence, from the bombardments and so forth. The question is whether the calculus of the Assad regime can be shifted, Um to get them to stand down. And again, thus far, this, the ceasefire that I mentioned has been holding. I think you know we have to be realistic uh, about what the, what the options are going forward. But I, I think it is important to note, Trey, just how much suffering is happening uh, in the region, um, not only in, in, in Syria, but more broadly, because of the impacts that we're already starting to see from the pandemic and whether it's um, uh, economic slowdowns and and rising uh, unemployment and inflation, and now even very real concerns about hunger and and even famine in places like Syria, like Yemen, and even other countries like, like Lebanon. And so I think, unfortunately, this is a part of the world that where the pandemic hasn't really hit with full force. And I think we're gonna see a number of second and third order effects that are going to be quite challenging uh, for the region in in the months to come.
0: You've been listening to Mona Yakubian, a senior advisor at the U.S. Institute of Peace. We'll be right back. The United Nations is extremely concerned about the possibility of COVID-19 spreading among refugee populations and more vulnerable populations, like you said, in places like Yemen, Lebanon, and Syria. How do you address this type of issue because, you know, oftentimes when we're looking at international aid flowing to different locations across the Middle East, it's not always focused on disease. Sometimes it's fighting cholera or, or even in Sub-Saharan Africa. We often talk about uh, in the DRC and Uganda during the Ebola outbreak how international aid will flow for a certain amount of time and then it will shift back to a more broader sense um, addressing things like hunger. Um, and maybe development projects. So when you have this new type of disease that people, A, don't know much about, but B, aren't really sure how it's going to spread among communities, what are some of the difficulties the international community faces when they're addressing this?
1: Well, I think partly, of course, the international community is in part uh, worried about the pandemic in their own home countries. So that's one issue right there that we have to deal with. Um, But beyond that, it's questions like making sure, how do we ensure that there are enough uh, testing kits that are sent into places like Syria, that where again where humanitarian access is already quite difficult, and labs for actually uh, you you know test opening and and evaluating the results of those tests, and then things like ventilators and um, ICU beds, all of these things are in incredibly short supply, and in a lot of ways though this comes down to a question of resources and. Um, I think there are real concerns by various UN agencies that at a time when um, the needs are going to be most urgent, uh, there may well be a, 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 a real slide in funding. And that could very much threaten these areas that, as I said, have yet to see the full impact of the pandemic. But I think, Trey, what's really important that we all need to keep in mind is that um, because of the interconnectedness of our world, if one place is still suffering, uh, the effects of the pandemic, all of us are threatened. And so the only way to really ensure that we rid the world of the pandemic is to be sure that it is not able to thrive in in any particular location. And that's why it's gonna be so important to make sure that these conflict zones and other very vulnerable parts of the world um, have enough resources to, to battle the pandemic.
0: Mona Yacoubian, a senior advisor at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Thank you again for your time.
1: Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.